Hey, y'all. Welcome back to the Brianna Approved Podcast. I have one of my favorite Instagram blonde, beautiful, intelligent fellow PhD people on the show today. We have Dr. Melanie Joy, and she is a board-certified holistic health specialist and a holistic health consultant. She has degrees in education and complementary and alternative medicine and a PhD in Christian counseling. She offers educational seminars and workshops, nutrition response testing, and custom total body wellness plans for not only clients, but also health professionals. She values a holistic approach to health and healing, identifying the root problem, utilizing real foods and real supplements. So as you can tell, we are very aligned. So Dr. Melanie, welcome to the show. How are we today? We are very aligned. Hi, Brianna. I'm so great. I'm so happy to be here chatting with you. I was doing a deep dive on your Instagram. Well, I have been doing a deep dive on your Instagram for a while, but when I was prepping for the show, um, I was on your website and looking about this idea of you talk a lot about like, are you living a nourished life? And I think this past few years with the pandemic world that we've been living in and a lot of people, you know, I think feeling emotionally malnourished and then maybe physically malnourished as well because they don't have a lot of the same coping mechanisms. Um, you know, the word nourish you talk a lot about has this kind of like emotional and energizing component. So I would love to hear from you kind of a two-part question. Number one, like what does a nourished life actually mean to you? And then maybe what are some pillars for a nourished life that somebody could start bringing in or attracting to their lives if they're working on this aspect of their health and healing? Absolutely. That's a really great question. And, you know, living a nourished life, it's, it's really all about living a life based upon our values and living a life based upon what do we want to get out of life? Do we want to have more energy? Do we want to be healthier? Do we want to resolve um, relational conflicts? Do we want to resolve our internal emotional conflicts? You know, what is it that we are really trying to accomplish? What are our goals? And then what are the things that we can put in place that are going to nourish those things? Sometimes it's a dietary change. Sometimes it's there's too many chemicals in our environment. Sometimes we need to move more. Sometimes we need to focus on detox. Uh, sometimes there's an herb that really matches with what we're going through. And we just, we need that. And sometimes we have to focus on our, our spiritual connection, our mental connection, our emotional health, what's going on there. And when we do that, are we living a nourished life? It becomes very personalized. So I think um, for me, it was about, you know, I, I had these health diagnoses that I no longer wanted. I didn't want to be diagnosed with chronic fatigue syndrome. I was diagnosed with a heart condition that I wanted someone to tell me what is going on here? How do I reverse this? How do I fix this? And I had to leave the medical establishment to get those answers. I had to start seeking alternative practitioners and it led me to this path of physical health, but also I had to change my internal world. I had to resolve, I had to process things, process emotions. And that is when um, it was almost like a light bulb going off of the physical and the emotional is, is so, so powerful in living a nurse life. 
I love that you touched on both parts of that because I think a lot of people, especially if you have like a, you know, a science background, or maybe you got into this field originally for, let's say something like chronic fatigue, or you had digestive issues or whatever it is. We do tend to kind of lean really hard into the physical side of things because we're so excited to finally say, oh my God, this is the pathway and this is the mechanism of action. And this is the supplement or the herb I can take. And then many times as I kind of have been thinking about this a lot recently, not that that gets boring, but it's very direct. There's really no room for interpretation or growth. Like if you have SIBO, this is the protocol. There's a little wiggle room and that's pretty much it. And then I really don't think people value to your point, this idea of the emotional part. And I know you definitely talk about this idea of, you know, psychosomatic kind of health and these, when you're seven common causes of chronic conditions and health. So I, I think this term is kind of overused and maybe people just don't understand it's become kind of a buzzword. So can you talk a little bit about what even psychosomatic disease means and how there is a lot of this emotional based underlying healing that needs to be addressed? So like what, what does psychosomatic even mean for people who have no idea? Absolutely. So basically there's one piece of the puzzle we can look at, which is in traditional Chinese medicine, there are organs that if we have certain emotions that we haven't dealt with, they're naturally going to get stored in those organs. The, the brain goes, I don't know what to do with this emotion. And this, um, I want to keep this person alive for survival purposes. They might not be able to survive handling this emotion. So I'm just going to go ahead and tuck it away in the let's say it's anger or frustration, go to the liver and the gallbladder, or let's say it's fear, it's gonna get stored in the kidneys, or let's say it's um, feeling unworthy or not feeling lovable that might get stored in the large intestine. And so what happens is we're gonna develop these symptoms, okay? You might develop IBS or um, you might develop uh, low back pain. And you're going to do all the things. You're going to take the peppermint. You're going to change your diet. You're going to go see the chiropractor. And that's going to work. That will work for a short time period. And then you realize, I wonder if there's something else going on. I wonder if it's almost like you make the physical change and then the real emotional issue starts to come to the surface where you can no longer ignore it where you have done the physical, you've taken care of, you've done your due diligence, you've taken care of the physical, but now there's like this extreme fear or there's this extreme anxiety. And it's like, okay, we have to look a little deeper and see you know, what's really going on here. And then on the flip side, kind of more the, the nervous system, you know, mind body connection is we can have experiences, we can have traumas, we can have difficult things that we go through and our life speeds by so quickly that we don't even have time to process our survival energy during that time period. So this is when we may have fight or flight get stuck in our system or the freeze response. And these, these little responses start to bleed out into our everyday life. And if you go to a traditional psychology route, they may just stick a label on it. They may just write you a prescription and you just think you're stuck with that for the rest of your life. When in reality, there are tools to bring your body back into balance, whether it's on the more emotional organ related side or more kind of nervous system, mind, body side. I love that you talked about 
this idea of kind of how symptoms start to bleed out. Cause I, you know, I, I refer to it as like death by a thousand paper cuts because that is totally what happens is your body does for a very long time. Like it's so resilient and it really just wants to keep you healthy and thriving, but it's always at our own metabolic, hormonal, cellular expense. And we are just like, I'll deal with that later. That's a future Brianna problem, like not to be worried about now. And so the interesting topic that I think comes up a lot now to your point is this idea of trauma, which I would love to hear your definition of trauma, because again, I think this is one of those kind of health buzzwords that's, you know, gotten, you know, I think overused and maybe not fully explained, but how emotions truly get stuck in our nervous system, because we do say things all the time. Like I just, it's just not, you know, I got to digest that for a minute or like I'm carrying the weight of the world on my shoulders or, you know, my heart feels like we say these things and then for some reason we don't put them together. So like what does how does how do emotions begin to get stuck in our nervous system or maybe what are some ways that people could start to be like what's going on here is this trauma or is this just a really quick fleeting thing and my body's doing the fight flight dance and what are maybe some things that we could start to pay attention to or how it might manifest in the body yeah so i i think this is a really good question because we almost have to look culturally at our society and that we aren't really given the tools to process basically almost everyday life stressors. And I mean, you can even almost imagine like a teenager who's like working, they're like super, super busy. They don't have even time for life. And it's like, you're a teenager. You should not be worried about, you know, so seriously afraid of all these different things in your life. And probably what's going on there is maybe there were some like fears or um, experiences in childhood where they didn't necessarily have the tools to process those things and get it out of their system and then move on. So I kind of like to think of the body as a container and it's a container and it's housing all of these different sensations and emotions. And that container can really hold a lot. I mean, our system can contain a lot. But if there gets to be so much in that container, it's going to create a lot of different internal tension. It's going to create such a tension. I mean, people can see it on you or it's going to affect your job or your work or your health. And those are kind of like wake up calls, like self-aware wake up calls of there's something going on inside that I might need to process and deal with. And I really like there are many different definitions of trauma, but. I will say the one I like the most is by Dr. Peter Levine, where he says that trauma is unresolved survival energy. So it's not a bad thing. It's not an, it's not like a, it could be a happy thing. It could be a a very positive thing, but it is a survival energy that your brain at the speed of light, the subconscious brain said, "I, I need to package this up and store it for them to survive. And so these things happen so quickly, so unconsciously, so automatically that when we finally take the time to really look at it, it it actually becomes a little bit more manageable when we notice it's survival. I think that is literally the best definition of trauma I have heard in a very long time, because I think what has happened is we do have all these labels now, which is great because for any analytical kind of 
lifelong learner, they say, what's the problem? Oh, I have trauma. Okay. So let me go and Google whatever I can on trauma, follow a hashtag, and I'll get into this bubble of that now. And what that does, I think sometimes is actually almost takes the blame off of ourselves. And it says, well, it was my upbringing, or it was my parents, or it was the bad relationship or whatever. And at some point, we have to also take accountability to say, yeah, to your point, like this was just me surviving. And like people will be really hard on themselves as well in this self-healing journey of being like, I can't believe I did that or I went back to this toxic pattern or whatever it is. And so I think that's a really great reframe to almost, you know, give yourself some kindness and compassion in that health journey. Because I think, as you know, as well, like healing is not linear. And a lot of the times when people start this healing journey and they get into the more emotional psychosomatic side of things, it brings up a lot of things. They were like, I had a stomach ache and now all of a sudden I'm getting into like anxious attachment style. And that is not what I signed up for. So I would love to hear, you know, as I think any of us go on this wellness journey, we start to develop more tools or add more tools to our wellness toolbox. What was a tool that you wish you had earlier on, or maybe one that you discovered a little bit later through some of those harder lessons that you're like, if I could give this tool to younger me, this is the one I would give first. Oh, that is so good. Yeah. There's so many tools and Dr. Brianna, I use all of them. I use every possible tool I've ever picked up. I still use them in my everyday life. It's like you pick one up and then when you need it, you use it. And then it may lay dormant and that's okay. It's not like we're going to be like constantly, you know, picking up tools, but it's just in the aspect of learning. Okay. There is a practical applicable solution to what I'm going through, no matter what I'm going through. And I would say one of the tools that I have now that I wished I had back then was how to regulate my nervous system, how to check in with myself, how to see what my body is saying about a a certain decision that I had to make. And I'll give you an example. And this is something I actually do with my clients. And it's where we'll do a little bit of grounding. So we'll kind of orient to our environment, using our eyes, using our ears, using what we're sitting on. And so we'll get a little settled. And then uh, let's say they have a question like, you know, am I supposed to continue in this relationship? I can't figure out if I'm supposed to join this school program. And so I will, I will ask them both questions, you know, yes or no questions. And then I will say, okay, which one gave you anxiety? Check inside if that's a yes, which one gave you anxiety? Okay, now, and what, how does this one feel inside? What does that feel? As simple as that sounds, I wish I would have had that tool because I was, like most people, I was living in my head. I was living outside of what I thought was like logical. This is the next step thing instead of what does my body want? Because more often than not, our body is giving us the answer, the signals, the clues. And when we can tap into that, we're living our authentic life. Why do you think people struggle so much? And and again, you probably see it a lot too, because you probably get a lot of the same kind of very smart, analytical driven clients, right? Where they really do. It's like, again, your head and your heart not being on the same page. Sometimes you might see that manifest as gallbladder problems, like the wandering organ, can't make a decision, right? So like, 
why do you think people struggle with that so much? And I, I mean, I work mostly with women. So I see this a lot with women where it's like this intuition we have that's screaming at us. We will try and logic that away. And then your gut is like always right or whatever. Call it intuition, call it whatever. Your body literally screaming at you. Why do people you think struggle with that so much, particularly with the analytical side of things? Yeah. I think that this really goes back to having a healthy male-female dynamic, and it's something that we all have within us. Whether you are a man, you have a male-female dynamic, and you're a woman, you have a male-female dynamic, and we can go into like, you know, the mother wound, the father wound, the, you can take it back, you know, as far back as you want to take it. It, it, In women, I think it's, we, there's a fear And then we kind of overcompensate and lean more into a logical side instead of what is our gut feeling. And so that male female dynamic is almost like, it's like integrating like a, you can call it a shadow side. It's like integrating like the fear based side of us and realizing that's not our higher self. I'm not going to make decisions out of that. I need to make decisions from a place of peace, from a place where my inner person is saying, this is the best thing. And sometimes that's not logical. (laughs) I love that you brought that up because that is so important. And a lot of people do not realize that we have to, it's, it's like, I joke all the time about like estrogen and testosterone. I'm like, yeah, guys, you have estrogen too. Women, we have testosterone. Like it is all about balance. And I think it's, you know, our, our personal DNA, our upbringing, all of that, that we do tend to lean with that because it feels comfortable. And fear is one of these very misunderstood emotions that it's not one of the favorites. It's definitely not, you know, going to be picked first in dodgeball, but I think serves actually one of the most important reflective, you know, prompts for where do I need to dig deeper? So how much of that do you feel goes back to this, you know, quote, inner child? Because this is, I feel like another thing that people talk about shadow work or inner child work. And people are like, so what does that mean? I'm supposed to like put a tutu on and like rewatch like Rugrats. Like, what does that mean? How do I even know that I need to work on that? And like, what are some things that I can do? Just like you gave some great tips for you know, starting to soothe your nervous system. How, how does one even start that opening up that container? Yeah. So opening up that container, it really takes a lot of patience and it takes a lot of gentleness and recognizing that within each of us, there is basically, there is a wise parent. There is a very strong, loving, supportive, um, person within us that we all have and that we all need. But sometimes that voice kind of gets silenced if there's this really loud inner bully, inner critic, we're constantly criticizing ourselves, or we're um, like, if we make decisions and we, you know, get frustrated at ourselves really easily, or we notice we're just really short with ourselves or not extending love to ourselves that can be a sign of like a wounded inner child. Or if we're on the opposite side of that, extremely like codependent, overgiving, overserving, overdoing, trying to fix and solve and resolve everything. It's almost like as if we're denying the person on the inside of us, then we have to recognize, okay, which, which voice am I giving more power to? And so it's, 
it's interesting when we get triggered, we can almost bring up that wise inner parent. So, and this is, I've actually coached people on this of, you know, you know, as you're telling me, you know, that mistake, and as you're telling me, you feel like, you know, you made the wrong turn and you, you totally were like beating yourself up over it. Maybe you could, you know, think of yourself as like a, a six-year-old or a five-year-old. What would you, what would you say to them in that moment? And instantly it changes to sweetie. It's okay. You will survive this. You will make it through. You're, you're going to make it like this, this will, this will pass and and you'll be okay. And I hear you. I see you. I'm with you. And we're going to, we're going to get through this. And when you start to say that to yourself and you start to sharpen that, like when something goes wrong, you apply love instead of judgment and criticism to yourself, your internal network, your nervous system's like, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's like a baby getting attention. Yeah. I love that you brought that up because that was even something that came up for me this past year to your point of being a, you know, overachiever and leading with overcompensating. And, you know, again, I think being more in my masculine energy and thinking that that was a power thing because being more intuitive and soft, that's, you have to lean into your feminine and that means you have to be vulnerable. And that means that you can, you know, get out of alignment, I think sometimes easier or whatever it is. And so I do think it's so important to have that conversation with ourselves um, just in healing in general of having self-compassion. It sounds so bumper sticker, hippy dippy, like, yeah, love yourself and whatever, but we don't actually have, I think a lot of tools for that. I mean, I think we have a lot more now, but I do know one of your posts that you put up on your page a while ago was love is the best nutrition apply daily. And I think that is such a great jumping off point. What are some ways that people can start to ingest more love or apply love more daily to maybe start to just have some self-compassion or, or give themselves maybe the, the love and compassion they didn't get from whether it was a relationship, a parent, whatever it is. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Applying love daily can be very personalized. I, you know, I think across the board, probably one of the simplest things is to, and almost everyone has access to this, but making yourself a meal and sitting down and enjoying it. And this could be as simple as you fry up an egg, you know, whatever your sourdough, you know, keto, whatever your, your carb options are, could be maybe potatoes or butternut squash, whatever it is, you fry up the egg, you get the carbs, you drizzle it in olive oil, you put butter on it, whatever your thing is, and you sit down and you just, you nourish yourself. You notice the chewing, you notice what it tastes like. You get relaxed and comfortable and you don't rush through it. And that sends signals to the body of I'm safe. And as simple as just fixing yourself a meal and looking out the window and eating is one of, I think one of the most simplest ways. Um, and then our, our body really thrives on movement. And so anytime that we can get the chance to take a walk, do some Pilates, do some yoga, um, if we're into the weights, you know, whatever it is that we're, our body needs in that moment of a little bit of movement sprinkled out within your week 
is like a love note to your body. That's letting your body know I'm getting the lymphatic fluids flowing. I'm taking care to, um, you know, support my, my metabolism. And it's, it's, it's so simple, but it's a, you know, cooking a meal, a little bit of movement, and then applying love to me is also working on our relationships, connecting with a friend, texting someone, calling someone, making, you know, making sure someone's okay, checking in on someone. And then when you, when you do that, you're actually, you're going to feel the love. It's like, you're putting love out there. You're going to get love back. So I think those are probably three simple things. Those are three amazing things. I love the idea of writing a love note to your body. I've done this with a lot of clients where I, I will prompt them to write a note to their younger selves or just to their bodies. And that might be an apology letter, actually like, sorry, I, I've been so tough on you, or it might be a love letter. But I think what an interesting connection with just making a meal. And I also love simple concepts because anybody who follows me knows that I joke all the time. Like you can't biohack your way out of the basics and people do want to just rush to heal whatever or get better. And it really is the simple, boring stuff. It's why it's been around. It's, you know, that it works. And I see this connection a lot. And I heard somebody talk about this once, like, especially with people who binge eat or, Maybe they, that's the way that they self-soothe, right? Because they're trying to get serotonin up. They're trying to self-regulate their nervous system, whatever it is. And someone once said like, well, where are you missing sweetness in your life? And it, I think that even goes back to like, think about some of your happiest moments when you're a kid or why you think that your mom's pancakes are the best pancakes in the world. Because it was a moment where you had a positive memory, you're engaging, you know, like the hippocampus, the limbic brain, all that cool stuff. And it literally makes you feel good. And I think that's also why people do turn to like, food so much as a way to self-soothe. And that's not always talked about as much like when people will lean into alcohol or drugs. And that's kind of just like, for some reason, given more of a pass. So I think that that is, those were three amazing, I think like life-changing suggestions. Mm -hmm. I know you also have a navigating our internal landscape webinar coming up soon. And I think this is a really interesting concept. So can you tell people a little bit about what that even means, um, like when the webinar is and, and all that kind of stuff. But what what does navigating our internal landscape, like what was the inception of this? Yes, thank you so much for bringing that up. That is, um, it's coming up March 4th. Um, it's a Friday and it'll be a live recording um, from 11 Central to 1230 Central. And then obviously anyone that registers, we just email them the recording. But um, Dr. Sydney Cohen and I have actually done several webinars in the past, and it's so interesting. We get on the phone, we decide to collaborate different ideas, and we were kind of tossing back and forth some, some webinar topics and this concept of navigating our inner world and, and what that looks like and what tools we could share just kind of came out of a conversation that we had. And... Um, so we, we put it together and we're going to be uh, really sharing valuable tools, take-home tools, like um, how to create a resource list. In other words, when we talk about our inner world and we talk about trauma, the way that we heal that is not by actually rehashing all the negative things that have happened in our life. We, we let our nervous system experience a different body experience. We let our nervous system experience safety. 
And how we do that is there's all these little like ways that we can create safety in the present moment. And one of the ways that I'm going to teach people how to do that is through a resource list. And essentially, when you create a resource list, it lets your, your body know, I do have positive experiences within me. I do have positive, supportive tools and resources available to me, no matter if I am sitting at my desk, if I'm walking into the grocery store, if I'm at a social setting and all of a sudden I feel triggered, you can, use, you can use your resource list and it can help to create a little bit of peace and inner sanctuary. And so um, we're going to be talking about a resource list. We're going to be talking about self-sabotage and how that can affect your, um, your internal world and, and what to do when, when that kind of rears its head. And um, so Dr. Sydney and I have, we've really kind of put together what we think will be about like an hour and 15 minutes, and then we'll have about 15 minutes for questions. And so we're, we are really excited to talk about it. That sounds amazing. I'm probably going to sign up for that because I think, you know, anybody who's in the, anybody who's in this world is like always looking for new tools and lists and adding more tools to my toolbox all the time is my favorite thing to do. Um, you touched on self-sabotage a little bit. So I would like, what, what do you think, or maybe, you know, in the world that we're living in now, like, you know, 2022, we've had a rough go at it the past few years. What do you think are some of the most common forms of self self-sabotage that maybe you've seen with clients or that you kind of just see collectively right now, um, that, you know, are, are maybe not serving our highest good, but maybe at one point we thought was a way to keep ourselves safe. Absolutely. Yeah. That's really key. We, we think it's keeping us safe. We think it's supporting us, but it ends up being detrimental to our goals. And it really goes back to the simple things on this one. Um, so one of the things that is obviously very supportive to our health, and you've talked about this too, is good quality sleep. But yet I have a lot of people who struggle with, it's my habit to go to bed at 11, 12, 1, 2, and then all of these symptoms like fatigue and, you know, they're just exhausted. They don't have any uh, motivation to get anything done. And so when we get down to it, there's this, um, it's like self-sabotage. They plan on, they want to start their night earlier. They want to, you know, get to bed earlier. They want to, you know, support their hormone health. But then it gets down to it and their their mind is like racing at night or they're like, oh, but I can do this or I might miss out on that. And it's like a self-sabotage thing. So what I like to do in, in those moments, whether it's a dietary self-sabotage or even over-exercising can be self-sabotage, but it's essentially slowing down the nervous system because what's probably going on is there's probably a hurting little person that's running from something. And it doesn't even matter what the hurting little sad little person is running from, but it's just, can we acknowledge that? Can we take the time to really slow down, to let that little person move and shift and run and notice them and do whatever it is that they need to do? And usually when we're doing that, it's like the body takes over and you'll notice like their hands start sweating or they start to shake or they're like, my heart's beating rapidly. And we let the body go through that process of that little person running, running and being seen. And 
they now notice the next time they try to make a decision, they actually have the ability to make a choice. And so it kind of shifts them from that subconscious unaware to, wow, I'm aware. Awareness is always the first key in changing anything and then acceptance and acknowledging it. Right. But I think to your point too, I think that's a a nice way to take some pressure off yourself too, because I think we enter these, you know, I'm working with somebody or I'm working on myself or whatever it is. And they're like, okay, I've accepted and acknowledged this is my problem. Now, how do I fix it? And sometimes just doing less and just saying, Hey, I see this. Like, I feel this, I'm aware of that. And that's okay. Like that is, I think such a powerful, powerful tool. I would love to hear what are some of your favorite ways to give yourself some self-care or if you're having a, you know, really, you know, not stellar day and you're just like, all right, I need some me time. Like these are some of my, I actually did a post on this the other day, calling it like, you know, creating your shit day protocol, like creating it ahead of the time, the same way that we, you know, plan out vacations and all these amazing things. Like life's going to have not great days. So like, what do you do to get yourself back on track or just show yourself a little bit more um, self-care? What are some of you know, Dr. Melanie's favorite things. Yes, absolutely. Some of my favorite things, especially if I'm stressed out, overbook myself, doing too much, I will almost immediately schedule either an acupuncture appointment or a reflexology appointment, whichever one I can get in sooner. And that almost immediately calms me and feeds me and kind of sets my schedule a little bit slower. I really like to do the infrared sauna. I love to go on walks in nature and just getting outside and noticing the sun and noticing the breeze sitting on the ground um, is very nourishing to me. And I also like to cook. So I may, you know, make a big pot of soup, make something really warm and nourishing or make some ginger tea. You know, there's my goodness, I could spend probably hours in the kitchen, but um, making the process of making the food or whatever it is really seems to calm me and nourish me. So those are some of the things that I like. Yeah. It's so funny. I actually really got into cooking this year. That was like my goal for 2022 because I used to always be like, as a nutritionist, I would joke and say, I eat for survival, not for flavor. So I would just eat really boring things and whatever. And I was always like, I don't like making a mess in the kitchen. And I find it so relaxing. And I think to your point, it's really because you can't do a whole lot else. Like you have to really focus. You have to pay attention, you know, to the instructions and really be present. Like, you know, if you have to wait 15 minutes for the dough to rise, like you gotta be present and like hang out while it's rising. So I I love that, you know, we have some of the same, um, you know, kind of self-care tips. Mm-hmm. Before um, we tell everybody how to, you know, sign up for other classes that you do and, you know, follow you and all that kind of stuff. I would, I love to ask this question to people. If you could give your younger self, you know, one piece of advice, um, what would it be? And what is a lesson that you feel in this, whether it's the emotional side of things or the physical side of health things that took you the longest to learn, but probably had the most profound impact on your current, you know, state of your life. Hmm. Wow. That's really like really I'm one of those, I joke with my mom a lot. I'm a, I'm a slow learner and a hard learner. I like to really get those lessons from the universe, like four or yes. five times. But once I get it, got that mm-hmm. for life. Yes. Oh gosh. Yeah. The lessons are so important. I think probably what I would want to tell my younger self is learn to set boundaries. Ooh. 
Yeah. And learn, learn my yes and my no, learn what I really want to do and what I don't want to do and learn what is enabling someone else at the expense of my health and, you know, boundaries, I guess I would say. And then probably the lesson that I repeatedly maybe had to learn probably was slowing down Mm. when, because it can almost seem like we get into like, um, like a marathon of like, almost like a snowball effect of like kind of momentum, but it's, it's not the, the healthy, like ebbs and flows. It's almost like we like push and push and push. So for me, I would say it's learning how to slow down, learning how to nourish myself. That's like, that's probably my number one. The reason why it's my number one message is because I really needed to learn that lesson. I love that. And I love that you said the idea of yes and no, because um, there is so much value. Your, Your yes means so much more when you can say no. And that has for sure been a lesson that's taken me a while to learn as well. Um, you are, I mean, you're an absolute light earth angel. You can tell you just have such a beautiful presence about you. You have a calming, nourishing vibe and ethos. So everybody needs to be able to follow you. So please tell people how they can work with you, where they can follow you. I know you plugged your um, one upcoming webinar. If you have anything else, I know you also have written a book. So um, please just let people know how they can get more joy quite literally in their life. You're so amazing, Dr. Brianna. I think that you are an absolute light and I'm like so happy that we've connected on this platform. And thank you so much. I mean, you've, you brought up all the right questions and topics. So this has really been kind of cool. Um, But basically people can contact me through my website, drmelaniejoy.com. And I have a a contact box on there. And um, I do have a book. Um, it's on Amazon, Living a Nourished Life. And that is, um, it's on Amazon. Probably the best thing is Amazon, which you can find that on my website too. Um, and what's your Instagram, Instagram handle? Instagram is Joy, and Facebook is Dr. Melanie Joy. Perfect. And I will put that in the show notes for anybody who is listening, but Dr. Melanie, thank you so much for being on this show. I'm so grateful for your time and for your presence. And I hope you have an amazing day. Absolutely. Thank you. You too.